It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, people. From the Sunshine State, I'm Greg Carlwood, and it's easy to get caught up in political drama, cable news, stories of the week, or even just the mundane demands of modern life. And forget that every day there are people that are having life-changing experiences and sightings of strange creatures that defy logic and certainly fall outside of the exceptionally narrow category of UAPs. I'm talking about Sasquatches, gnomes, goblins, black-eyed children, skinwalkers, lake monsters, flying winged humanoids, dogmen, lizardmen, and even deermen, which are regularly reported if you know where to look. It's still hard to know exactly how to make sense of such things, be it dimensional bleed-through from beings in a nearby reality, entities manifesting from the imaginal, or maybe even screen memories and shape-shifting presentations from something of superior mind-manipulating ability. But I wouldn't just call it nothing. And lucky for us, there are people like today's returning guest, the great Fordian researcher Lon Strickler, keeping the receipts on his long-running Phantoms and Monsters blog, where he posts the best of the best when it comes to personal reports, averaging about 600 posts a year, going all the way back to 2005. He's also written nine books on such things, including Winged Cryptids, Humanoids, Monsters, and Anomalous Creatures Casebook, Mothman Dynasty, Chicago's Winged Humanoids, Alien Disclosure, Experiencers, Exposed Reality, and most recently, The Meme Humanoids, Modern Myth or Real Monsters. He's also the host with the most of Phantoms and Monsters Radio, which you can find on YouTube, and I am looking forward to another whirlwind of weird encounter stories, so let's get into it. The cryptid sighting chronicler, weird stuff record keeper, and winged humanoid highlighter, Lon, welcome back to the higher side. Well, thanks for having me, Greg. Yeah, you got it. People might think these kind of things are silly or it's just a, a hobby of yours, but we would know way less about what people see and experience without your dedication. So I actually really appreciate it because just to get a handle on such things. People are already nervous about talking about them. They usually don't even want to. Who knows how many stories go unreported. But for you to provide a place where people do feel comfortable and then be so dedicated as to keep it updated all the time throughout all these years, I mean, it is a piece of history, really. And uh, I think it's a beautiful thing. Well, I appreciate that. I don't get the accolades that much, but <laughs> I, I get a lot of people moaning about things a lot of times, but I keep going at it and do the best I can with it. And you do a great job. So we did an interview once way back in 2017 because I had read about a spike in winged humanoid creature sightings around Chicago. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they were described as owl men or bat men or even giant sugar glider like creatures, oddly enough. And I revisited that interview. And at the time you had said that there were roughly 40 sightings between 2011 and 2017. And they were, of course, concentrated around the city limits of Chicago. But now I saw a map on your website that plots roughly 160 such sightings. And you released a book on this called Mothman Dynasty. So it seems like this particular thing didn't go away, did it? No, it's the cryptid that keeps on giving. We get sightings, maybe not as much as we did earlier, but, you know, we consistently do get sightings. And uh, over the past, oh, I'd say three to four years, it's been mostly concentrated around area international. But, you know, we're getting cases within and around the city as well. 
Mm. And what maybe has changed since 2017? I guess there's been some slowdown. Obviously, six years to plot another hundred or so is interesting. Are there anything, any insights you've gotten from the details of encounters in that last six years or anything? Well, overall, the sightings, and it has evolved a bit. Earlier on, we had sightings of different wing structures, feathered wings, insectoid wings. But for the most part, I'd say 90, 95% are gargoyle or membrane-like wings, bat-like wings. And that's been pretty consistent now for the past several years. The body structure has been fairly consistent, kind of a six to seven foot tall being, emaciated, dark in color, a small head, many times with red eyes. Sometimes the arms are attached to the wings, sometimes they're detached. So there have been some variations, but all in all, it's been pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, obviously, terror and feelings of dread being somewhat associated. But is there anything about their behavior that might give any clues as to what they are or what they do throughout the day? Well, I really don't think they're indigenous beings. I believe they're most likely some type of interdimensional or some type of portal traveler. The sightings are very fleeting. They've always been fleeting. Just a matter of seconds. I think people who do see these things are kind of designated as being witnesses by these beings. There have been instances where they have shown up in crowds and just a few people have been able to see them. Interesting. But no, the sightings have been very quick. We have no photographs of them so far. People have tried to take photographs, but by the time they get the phone out and the shock wears off, this thing's long gone. So yeah, they're fairly quick sightings. And, you know, hopefully at one point, some point, we'll get a photograph. But until then, we're just going to have to go by the anecdotal evidence. Right. And I remember you talking a little bit about filing FOIA requests, and I know they can take a long time, and talking to local law enforcement. Have the last six years yielded anything from those FOIA requests or any official governmental interactions or responses? Well, we've tried. The only report we do have was from a police officer in Woodstock, Illinois, who investigated the sighting that was called into them. They did talk to the witness, and we did get a copy of that police report. But as far as FOIA requests, we have not been successful in getting any information through the government or any of the local officials. There was an instance where two police officers had reported seeing this being. I think that was 2017 or early 2018 where they did file their regular report, but when we filed FOIA requests, and we did file three of them, they came back fairly quickly, within days, which is unheard of, actually. Mm -hmm. It's almost like they were looking for it, and the answer to the request was they just denied that they received anything. Some of the sightings at the airport, or at O'Hare, 
we have filed FOIA request with the Great Lakes FAA, and they have come back negative as well. And the pilots and air traffic controllers we had talked to in those instances did say that they'd made note of it and they did file reports, but nothing has come back to us. Hmm. I'm not surprised, but I was kind of speculating on this and thinking, you know, when people have Chicago in their minds right now, I think the first thing that comes up politically is the gun violence. If these things have a connection to trauma or doom, like the Mothman is said to, then maybe it isn't an unexpected place for them to be popping up. What do you think? Well, you know, the Harbinger theory, the portent of doom theory that is associated with the Mothman, especially at Point Pleasant. You know, I don't really buy into that, to be honest with you. In fact, it all came about because of the Silver Bridge collapse in December of 1967. It was 46 people died outside of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And I think that was kind of embellished on for the most part. Though 46 people did die, but I think as far as John Keel kind of used that as part of the Maltman prophecies. And I think a lot of the residents, it being a small town and all those that amount of people dying, I think people were looking for excuses as to what really happened. And that's how I think this whole Arbinger theory came about. As far as what's going on in Chicago, now, when we first started getting reports on a steady basis in 2017, I was receiving phone calls from people throughout the city. I mean, people who didn't even witness it, who were aware of the so-called Arbinger theory of these things and were wondering and scared that it would lead to something dramatic in this happening in the city. But to this point, we really can't find any connection to that. That makes sense. The harbinger theory is not really my favorite, but I do keep it in the box of possibilities because you really can't rule anything out with such strange material. And as you say, they are fleeting. So reading a bunch of accounts isn't necessarily going to yield a whole lot. But just for the listener's context, here's one from January of this year. I copied down from the blog that this person says, hey, Lon, I didn't think about reporting my experience until my sister told me I should report it and told me how. Didn't even occur to me what it could have been. And I was left bothered and unsettled for quite a while. It was January 14th of this year, 2023. I was on my way to work, so it was approximately 5.30, 5.45 in the morning. It was still dark with a light rain. I was heading west on 165th, which turns into 159th. I was in the left lane, and there was only one car in front of me in the right lane. This car was about six car lengths up ahead. This is a wooded area, and I saw something alongside the car in front of me by the rear. As I said, because it's a wooded area, I'm always watching for deer, raccoons, and possums, and things like that. I looked harder and watched and thought to myself, is that a deer? It's running so fast. Then I realized there was no way it was a deer. It looked bigger. Like I said, it was a light rain, dark, and I had my wipers on, but I started to speed up because I had no clue what this was at this point. As I got closer, 
whatever it was, went directly behind the car in front of me and suddenly showed that it had a huge wingspan. It flew up and then went over my car. I talked about it for weeks, telling everyone how it was very unsettling, and it's all I've thought about since that morning. I take the same route to work Monday through Saturday, and I'm always on the lookout and haven't seen anything since. It wasn't until months later my sister shared on Facebook and she found out if you go to Google Maps and search Mothman, then the locations of sightings show up. At that moment, it all clicked in my head, and I literally said out loud, holy shit, it was fucking Mothman. My husband was confused, and I showed him her post, and he laughed. But from that moment on, I was confident and positive that's what I saw. And I like it. That's pretty textbook, not a ton of detail, but enough of a good look that you're not going to misidentify something like a big wingspan or an object or thing flying over your car like that. Yeah, that sighting in particular was in an area where we have had sightings before, south of the city or south Chicago, as people drive out of uh, northwest Indiana into Illinois. We've had a lot of sightings there, actually, that whole region. That sighting is fairly standard as to what we get. People get a quick look at it, not necessarily a very detailed look, but you know they're shocked by what they see, and they do report it. Now, the one thing that has come up with most of the sightings that we, in fact, all the sightings that we have thought to be viable, and we've gotten a lot of sightings that we didn't believe were actual viable sightings. But the witnesses will report it, and they want to embellish on it. In fact, we have attempted, in in some instances, to try to get them to change or embellish on what they saw to see if, you know, kind of a test to see if they're being truthful about it. And most will stick to what they originally told us. Yeah, that's kind of what I find as well. Like, People often have these little stories and they're like, well, I didn't see much, but I know I saw something out of this world. And that's kind of, I agree with you, a good indication that they're being pretty honest. So I can see from the yearly archives on the site, about 700 reports get posted a year, roughly 60 or 70 a month. Are there any other types of beans with an odd spike in a concentrated area like these winged creatures around Chicago, but maybe some other type of thing in some other hot spot around the country? Not like that. I mean, these sightings are are very unique. The fact that it's an urban area for the most part, and that we continue to receive sightings over these many years, does make it very unique. And we don't see that a lot in Site. Of course, you're going to get areas that do have sightings of keys on like certain hot spots throughout North America in particular where we will get sightings, maybe not consistently, but we will occasionally get a sighting. That hasn't been the case in the Chicago land area. It's been fairly consistent as far as the sightings and the number of sightings. And that's somewhat unique. I imagine it is, but I got to ask. And what about maybe a favorite story or two that you had reported to you recently? I mean, you've been doing this as long as anyone, probably a hard man to impress. Does anything recent stand out to you? Well, maybe not recently, but 
there have been a couple of reports that we have received of this phenomenon that kind of stood out to me. In particular, the very close and personal encounters that have been reported to us. Are you talking about winged humanoids still or what kind of thing? Yeah, in particular. And I had a winged humanoid sighting back in 1988. But it was very similar to what people in Chicago are seeing, which I find very interesting. And I had, you know, of course, being that much difference in time from that sighting to when we started getting these. And we have had sightings in that area. And in fact, it's near me where I live now. That has kind of impressed me with consistency of sightings. But as far as what's going on in Chicago, it's unprecedented, actually, with the consistency of the sightings. Yeah, it seems that way. Well, what about the wide range of other things that get reported on the site? I mean, obviously, you have pretty typical alien encounters, abduction stories. You have dogmen sightings. Is there a story, just a random story that's not in the winged humanoid creature realm that, you know, impressed you or stuck out to you, given your long history of doing this? Thousands of of stories you've heard. Well, we've been investigating, for the most part, a lot of the cryptid canine sightings here in Pennsylvania, though throughout North America, for the most part, but in particular here in Pennsylvania. And we had one particular sighting that happened in the spring of 2022, not far from me, near Reading, Pennsylvania, in the area of the French Creek State Park, where a gentleman who's actually on our team now, and he's still investigating it. But he and his daughter had seen a hyena-like creature that was bipedal up in a tree, very scary-looking. He had drawn a sketch of it, but it impressed him so deeply and affected him so deeply that he is really going gung-ho on, on this sighting and it is actually investigating it on his own. That sighting in particular was very profound, and very rarely do we get witnesses who are impressed or affected the way he was to the point where he wanted to get involved with doing the investigation and is really going deep into it. But that case in particular is fairly interesting. Yeah, yeah, multiple witnesses. I mean, that's... Definitely one of those things that makes you scratch your head because you can't discount two or three people seeing something that strange. Yeah, right. His daughter as well, she was somewhat affected by, she's fairly young, but yeah, I I had actually done an interview with him on my show and uh, his name's Matt Hayek. And like I said, he's doing independent investigation, but he's in coordination with our team now. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. I I never really hold my breath that we're going to get to the bottom of any of it, but <laughs> in aggregate, these stories are just amazing. Well, you know, this phenomena, this cryptocanine phenomena here in Pennsylvania is something that myself and my associate Butch, who has since passed away, started working on many years ago. And yeah, it's kind of evolved into a number of fairly interesting sightings. I think at this point right now, 
since 2013 or 14, we're up to over 25 sightings of some type of cryptid canine. That's just not unexplained. And we've had some of the witnesses that have been really good witnesses, people who work for the state, professional people, and particularly people who work for the Game Commission come forward and talk about these. So that isn't something you normally get, but it impressed them to the point where they did want to report it and stayed with us as far as continuing to look into the phenomena. And if they do hear of anything or have any other evidence, they will come forward with us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would be curious to know, and there is really no way to know, what percentage of the real sightings out there are represented by the reports you get? I mean, you get 25 reports, but when a person sees something, they have to really want to go looking for answers. They have to come across your blog. They then have to take the time to write you the report and feel comfortable and not silly doing so. And then you end up with 25 reports. But the real number, I would think if it's 25 given to you, there's probably 100 or more actual sightings. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, there, there are a lot more settings. I mean, it's hard to even imagine how many people have actually had encounters. Many times people will talk to us and they will be very reluctant to go into detail, though their reaction and the way they act and the things they say, you can pretty well tell that they had some type of experience that left a deep impression on them. But, you know, I have made it a point when I do get a witness report directly from the individual, if it doesn't meet a standard, in other words, if it just doesn't sound right to me, or that I believe that there may be some type of embellishment involved with it, I just will not. <laughs> you can hear the thunder in the background here. We got a little storm that's uh, setting the mood. I heard it. <laughs> Well, you know, another category uh, I really find intriguing is black-eyed children's stories. They're always very interesting and creepy. I copied down two that stuck out because of some key details that I think the audience will easily pick up on, but here we go. My father and I were in Dulce, New Mexico. I've lived in New Mexico since 2000, but have never been in this town, despite it having quite the history of cattle mutilations, etc., etc., As we were inside the grocery store, there were two very strange-looking teens wandering around, almost like a brother and a sister. The younger boy was about 11 and had his hair slicked like alfalfa from the Little Rascals, and the teen girl was wearing dark black sunglasses indoors the whole time. Upon leaving the store, another family was coming in, a white, engineering-type, nerdy, government-lab-looking guy with a Native American woman along with their four children. There was a baby in the basket covered with a blanket, a two-year-old, and what looked like four- and seven-year-old girls. The combination of the nerdy engineering-type white guy with this native-looking wife is in such an insular community seemed strange to me for this area. Then there were the children, whose skin was much, much darker than that of what I assumed to be their Native American mother, The two girls stopped short of me as I was coming out of the grocery store entrance. The way they looked at me, almost animal-like in curiosity, with silent gazes and their heads cocked inquisitively, almost like a curious puppy dog, with what seemed like 
extremely dark, black, reflective, glistening eyes. So clearly the location is why I thought that was interesting. Dulce, New Mexico, and the parents, one looking like he might be a government lab worker of some kind. You know, obviously the dad stuck out to me from that description. And who knows what they got going on there, but how common is this? Just people coming across others, typically children, that just have a glossed over look and black eyes and very muted personalities. It happens occasionally. Many times these reports will just be in a regular setting where they'll be in a store or be at another public location and they will take notice of something that just seems odd to them. And yeah, that does happen occasionally. Hmm. And here's one more. So this person writes you and says, Hello, something happened last summer that has left me with many questions and few answers. I was employed at an appliance and furniture store in Great Bend, Kansas. One morning, a co-worker and I opened the store. When we arrived, we noticed that the back door was open. And when we entered the back room, all the lights in the store had been turned on. It didn't look like a break-in because the security latch was intact. The security system had been disabled, though. There was no power indicator on the code box. We immediately called the police and the store manager to report the situation. We were told not to open the store and remain in the back office until someone arrives. A few minutes later, after hanging up the phone with the store manager, a police officer was knocking on the back door. I let him in and told him what we found when we arrived. The officer started to walk through the back room and into the showroom when we started to hear a baby cry. My coworker and I followed the officer in the direction of the crying. Well, we didn't believe what we saw. There were two babies lying on a twin-sized bed display. The officer told us to stay there while he checked the rest of the store. He had also radioed for another police officer to come to the location. I looked down at the babies who were both tightly wrapped in dark green cloth. Both babies were quiet, very still, and looking at me and my coworker. I was taken aback by their odd eyes. Both babies had very large pupils that were black. There were no irises, and neither of the babies blinked. The police officer was soon back with us. He commented on the baby's eyes as well. In fact, he was totally freaked out, so much so that he looked scared. The store manager soon arrived, as well as the senior police officer. We all stood around the bed looking at these strange babies who laid there quietly watching us. The store manager pulled my coworker and me to the side and told us to go ahead and leave. He was not opening the store until he found out what was going on. We quickly headed towards the back door and left. I wasn't scheduled to work until a couple of days later, but I had talked to a few coworkers who said that the security system alarm would trip on several occasions a day and the atmosphere in the store was just very strange and they'd been receiving strange phone calls as well. When I arrived for my next shift, the store manager was sitting in the office, so I asked him what had happened after we left. He said that two young women who said they were from the municipal court eventually showed up and took the babies. The senior police officer told him later that he had no idea who the women were, but that he was told by his superior not to impede. He thought they were probably from McConnell Air Force Base in Wichita. He also said that the babies were very quiet and seemed relaxed the entire period they were there. 
I stopped working there not long after. Things were just never the same and it got tougher each day, especially when odd looking people would come into the store and just walk around. I didn't feel comfortable being there. I read an article not long ago about black eyed kids and the theories on their existence. Have you heard of similar incidents? I'd appreciate your feedback. That is just a really wild story. You have plenty of witnesses, anomalies with the security system, cops told, hey, these women are going to take these kids. Don't ask about it and don't do anything about it. Like being told to stand down, that's just a really interesting detail. And babies can't go long without food. So I don't know if these are regular babies or not, but that's a, a wild one, man. Lots of interesting details there. Yeah, Tasia will get one with a lot of detail in it. For the most part, the black guy kids' sightings are of <laughs> some, or one or two kids coming to the door and wanting to come in to either use the telephone or get a drink or get out of the weather or whatever. That kind of seems to be the majority of the sightings. But every once in a while, we will get one that has a special caveat to it. And those two that you mentioned are, are special ones. Yeah. Well, if there is something demonic going on, of course, the story is that you got to let them in. So what better appearance to show up as rather than children? Yeah, I mean, some people, it's interesting. For the most part, people who do see these kids with black eyes, they're fairly alarmed and just refuse to let them come in. Occasionally, it gets a little hairy where they're kind of threatening in their voice and such. But for the most part, it never evolves into anything dangerous, though there have been cases where it may very well have gotten dangerous. But normally, it's pretty benign. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of the vibe I get from the stories I've heard in this realm. But of course, those are usually the stories where they don't let the kids in. Who knows what happens on the other side of that threshold? Right. <laughs> also, you know, you could think about the idea of a hybridization program between aliens and humans. For the last few decades, people have been reporting that, that they get their sexual fluids taken in the night. Some even said that they've been taken up on a craft and shown their own hybrid children. There's been women who have been taken in the night routinely to swaddle and cuddle their hybrid children because kids need a mother's love. And so what other choice do the aliens have, I guess, or whatever they are. But if that stuff is true, you'd expect some type of hybrid beings to start showing up somewhere or start to be integrated into society and families to some degree at this point, right? Uh, yeah, you'd think. This is a question I get a lot from people as a result of this phenomenon. Personally, I don't know. I can't really pin down what they are. To me, they seem to be possessed by something or attached with something. Now, is it something that's otherworldly, alien? Possibly. I don't know. But, um, you know, at this point, we really don't have many answers to this phenomenon. Right. And maybe it's obviously something occult or demonic yeah. or spiritual. <laughs> the gods seem to think so. Yeah. And 
What do you think about that overlap between the occult and the sci-fi alien motifs? If you talk to a lot of occultists, they will give you some stories of, of contact through the pentagram that seem oddly similar to alien encounters. Obviously, they're more directed and expected when they perform a ritual. But do you think there's some overlap there? Or do you think those are two totally separate categories of experience? I think the paranormal in general, there are connections between different phenomena. Just for instance, like what has been going on in Chicago, uh, there have been some UFO connections, possibly alien connections, other humanoids possibly involved. It's just not straightforward all the time with just winged humanoids. There have been some other sightings of other phenomena that may very well be connected to it. We just have not been able to pinpoint what it is. But occasionally we will get a report that does seem to be connected to something other than just the winged humanoid phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the uh, reports you get are, are so vast. There's got to be a majority of them, I would think, are not attached. Yeah, I mean, there are some different aspects to it that make you think. You know, it's very rare that we will get a report of anything, any type of cryptid or any type of phenomena, where as you go deeper into the case and start working with the individual or start investigating the actual case itself, where something else will usually pop up. Many times the witnesses don't want to associate other activity that they've experienced to what they've reported, but occasionally they will come forward. Many times it's like pulling teeth. You kind of got to keep at it with them. But when you're looking for an explanation, many times that different phenomena that's associated with it will help you get an answer. Mm -hmm. Well, what about evidence? When you investigate these cases, and not just winged humanoids, but anything that comes across your website, I know usually after a story, there's a little note from you about follow-up. Mm -hmm. Well. Is there a case in the last year or so you can think of where you followed up and you were presented with some kind of interesting evidence that stuck out to you? Not necessarily. You know, when you get as many reports as I get over all these years, it's kind of hard to pinpoint and remember everything. You know, maybe years ago when I was kind of new to this, things did stick out more. But frankly, I'm less surprised now than I ever have been. It takes a lot to shock me. You know, that's why this whole phenomenon in Chicago has really piqued my interest and kept me involved with it because there are just a lot of different caveats involved, especially with those people who have had encounters with these beings that have, I mean, very close and personal encounters. And it kind of gives us insight as to what is possibly going on. But, you know, those are the cases that kind of pique my interest more than anything else, those close and personal encounters. Yeah, yeah. Well, this one might qualify. 
but you called it a, a glimmer man. Yeah. Some type of phenomenon. But this is from Greensboro, North Carolina. A suburban resident had been experiencing a variety of anomalous activity. I received the following request a few weeks ago, you say. Now, she says, I live near Greensboro, North Carolina. The date that the incidents began is 6-18-22, you know, basically a year ago. Two weeks after moving to this address, I witnessed trees in the park behind my home moving as though there was a huge heavy bean moving from one tree to another, but I could not see any visible bean, though I know that this movement was not caused by the wind. Since then, I have seen a variety of strange, unreal things that I would never have imagined ever seen in real life except in sci-fi films. I've tried to take photographs of these anomalies, but nothing is ever captured. I've used a digital camera and an old Polaroid, but to no avail. There is something outside in my trees, and it is not squirrels. I can feel them watching me and have seen their neon green eyes staring back at me from inside of the thick tree cover where they try to hide and blend in with the leaves on the top of the trees. Something is definitely wrong here, and it really has me frightened. I know something has come into my home and assaulted me with scratches on my back and left a blood red scab at the base of my skull. It was as though it was punctured with a sharp object such as a needle. I'm convinced that the government and other officials in this community know about the activity. I've collected some hair evidence that I know is not human. The hair is too thin and wispy and the color is greenish in hue. I don't know what to do. Someone suggested I reach out to you so I won't lose my sanity. I never in my wildest dreams would have ever imagined these things to actually be real. It's difficult for me to accept the reality of it. Please contact me so I won't feel so alone in this madness. (laughs) And then your note says, I've been conversing with this witness on and off for a few weeks. She wishes that the evidence that she has collected, which I have seen, be held in confidence, though she did give me permission to post her original email. I do believe that she is experiencing unexplained and anomalous activity and that this could be a glimmer man phenomenon. Anyone in the area with similar strange activity, please contact me. So a couple of questions. What the hell is a glimmer man and what evidence did you see? Well, the glimmer man phenomena is somewhat recent, maybe the last decade or so. People are seeing what they describe as a glassine-like or shimmering type of outline of a humanoid-like being. In other words, if you remember the Predator movies where the alien being in the movies itself, when it would cloak itself, it had that shimmering look to it. And people are describing something very similar. Even the eyes that stand out as yellowish color or bright color eyes do stand out independent of the shimmering effect. What these are, we really don't know. Um, (laughs) There is some theory that it may actually be some type of cryptid that uses some type of abilities to cloak themselves. Right. That we don't know. But this phenomenon does crop up occasionally. Many times it is seen by people who live near a forest or a forested area that would just happen to be out and notice something like this in a tree or on the ground. And they will report it 
and just not know what's going on. But in the instance of this witness, it continues. Now, what she showed me was interesting. The hair itself, I don't know what that was from. I don't know if it was the being or something else that she collected. I really can't make a determination as to what that was. But the story of her having some type of physical contact with something, I believe, is true. Now, is this phenomenon associated with something else that, like a spirit anomaly or some type of energy that is in the home that may just be coincidental, at, I mean, to this shimmering being that's outside the home? I don't know. That very well may be. But I know it did shake her up. But, you know, this Glimmer Man phenomenon is showing itself more and more now, which is funny because it makes you go back and think, well, maybe, you know, the movies, the Predator movies and that shimmering effect in the movie, you got to wonder, well, the person who wrote these films or wrote the screenplay, did they have some type of encounter similar to that? Is it something that they wrote about and put into another context? I don't know. But, you know, we do get that from some people with different types of phenomena, just like with the winged humanoids. Many times people will come to us and the first thing they will say is, well, it reminded me of the creature from uh, Jeepers Creepers, the film. You know, people associate with what they know and that's how they try to describe these things. So, you know, you know I've never seen it, the Glimmer Man, but... We have had plenty of witnesses who have come forward and had described this phenomenon. Yeah, and it's not unlike other things described when people try to unpack why people see the grays and what all that is. They often do talk about manipulation from the media, the seeding of what a gray and alien is supposed to look like, and then thus people start to see that thing. Maybe something similar goes on with the Jeepers Creepers thing. Maybe something similar goes on with the Predator. But what do you think about the relationship between Hollywood and people's real sightings? Not that they're making this up or or anything like that, but just the idea of something infecting enough imaginations that it starts to actually manifest. Well, you know, I think there is an association with what people are familiar with. It's something they had seen on film or digital-wise or anywhere, on TV or even some type of representation, some type of meme where they will maybe create a thought form or a tulpa. You know, the human mind is very interesting. When you start talking about thought forms, just like the phenomena with poltergeist, where an individual can literally mind manifest some type of being. I think it's very possible. And, you know, the book I wrote, The Mean Humanoids, I kind of detailed a lot of that in the book, starting with like the Slender Man phenomena that was actually an internet meme that people started taking very seriously and started seeing this thing. Now, did they manifest this thing because of what they saw? I believe it's possible. But, you know, the fact that we've had so many of those sightings, and then later on, 
with these crawler humanoids that people describe, even though it's nothing that's been well known in the media, it just seems to crop up many times. So a lot of phenomena we get, you have to start wondering if people have seen so many representations or even thinking about these things have caused this phenomena to manifest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was going to lead right into talking about your book a little bit, the meme humanoids. Of course, we probably all know about Slenderman, but it seems like there are plenty of other examples of a creature coming off the page or the screen into actual life encounters, right? There are a few. Yeah. And that's why I kind of focused on that. You know, the Slenderman phenomena has fascinated me from the beginning. Then, of course, when these the two girls in Wisconsin literally attacked their friend because they said that the Slender Man told them to do it or they wanted to satisfy this creature or whatever it was, I really started to think, well, you know, there's got to be something to this. And as I started looking more and more into it, and people were starting to report these crawler humanoids that they were encountering, I started wondering if maybe there's something connected there. Yeah, I would wonder as well. So what about another story of the Glimmer Man? Are there other encounters where you followed up and investigated? Has anyone else reported like a scab, as this woman did, of some kind of implantation or covert thing happening that they aren't quite aware of? What about another Glimmer Man story that sticks out to you? Well, that story there is pretty unique. For the most part, we've had encounters where people, like I said before, would live near a forest and such, and they'd just be doing regular routine. I had one not long ago where a woman and her child were out in a clearing near their home, and the child started focusing on something moving in the trees. and. It seemed to be looking at it and mentioning it, even though this was a toddler that really couldn't enunciate what they were actually seeing. But when she did look, she saw this being, and it frightened her to the point where, you know, they had a picnic and they left everything there. Her boyfriend eventually had to go out and collect everything. But she has seen this thing continue on. And many times these people who make the initial reports, they will continue to see it. Now, are they actually seeing something, or is this something that they're manifesting as a result of their initial sighting? That's hard to determine. And until we get any type of possible photographic evidence or other evidence in the same area, then we really can't make a determination. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Weird stuff. So this is a totally random but amazing post you put up not long ago titled Secret Plasma Monsters in Tibetan Monastery. (laughs) And I just wanted to read it. It's long. It's over a page here when I printed it out. But it's a good story to maybe cap off this first hour. So this is what the person reported to you. There is a creature known to Buddhist monks, but you will probably never hear its name. They have sheltered it in secrecy for thousands of years high atop a mountain monastery in Tibet. Such creatures are made of a kind of plasma. They look much like translucent jellyfish and traverse space between planets. The reason you will have never heard of it 
is that it's a guarded secret of the ancient black masters. For many thousands of years, the order has occupied the monastery, which is built into the rock of the mountain. They rarely venture from it. The impoverished peasants below hold and have always held them with great regard. It was the greatest wish of all families that one of their children would be chosen to become one of these monks. Every 12 years, the monastery would open the compound gate to choose which children would be accepted into the teachings. Boys between the age of five and nine would hike with their families the long path up the mountain. The families were not allowed to stay, so the children were then left at the gate. The boys would wait outside until the monks would come and choose. They would be made to wait days without food or water. Most would leave and wander home. Once the monk opened the gate and chose those who were deemed worthy, they would be taken within the sanctuary walls. If the parents did not see their child returning from the mountain, they knew their son was accepted. Sadly, however, he would never be allowed out or to see his family again until he was in his 20s. While this was hard on the families, they knew that their child would be taken care of and later in life be able to take care of family and bring them honor. In a world of abject poverty and starvation, this was the greatest wish and hope of these parents. The child would be dressed and prepared and led by a monk up to one of the higher building rooms. The monk would unbind ropes that locked two wooden doors and place the boy inside standing before an altar. He would then lock him in alone. The altar ran the length of the room, carved into the rock, five feet high and 12 feet deep. In the center of this step, a round hole five foot in diameter had been bored out. The hole in the stone was perfectly cylindrical, 20 feet down and concave at the bottom. Of course, the boy could not see this or the hole itself, only the thing that protruded from it. A clear, gelatinous-looking, dome-shaped monster seemed to sit on the altar, as the rest of its body tendrils rested within a hole. While the creature had no eyes of its own, it appeared as if someone had penciled Asian eyes onto the mass, and they stared at him. The boy stood frozen, crying at the sight. The creature did not move towards him, yet somehow drew the soul and life force from the child's body, killing him. As his tiny body collapsed to the floor, the plasma monster encased his soul in a clear sphere from which he could not escape. It looked like a tiny spark of light inside a glass ball. A tendril moved up from the hole and wrapped around it, pulling it beneath. The plasma monster sits atop them, all the while feeding off the trapped soul's energy. There are thousands of balls in the well. The ones at the bottom are dead and used up, resembling grains of black sand at the bottom of a glass ball. Further up the hole, the souls are newer and still have some life left. It takes a few hundred years of draining and feeding before the soul is completely dead. Many believe the soul cannot be killed, and for the most part, this is true. Yet this is one of the true monstrosities capable of such an atrocity. Those parents never knew the fate that awaited their child when they brought him up to the monastery. They never knew the horror and suffering that beset him. They would never know how his soul suffered for hundreds of years until it was finally wholly consumed. I know you think this is a fairy tale, that these things are not possible. The truth is, these plasma monsters are real. However, in their natural state, they are harmless, gentle giants that move throughout the vastness of space between planets. This monster was captured and contained by the evil black order that masks honorable and noble monks. 
They who through ritual and ancient rites entrapped and enslaved this plasma being down here for thousands of years in its own prison as an instrument of their black fare. I do not know why they would need this entity to harvest souls for them when they are capable of extracting souls on their own. All I know is that there is a monster with Asian eyes in the monastery on the mountain. In fact, there are many of them. I mean, hey, that is very well written and quite strange. It's provocative, but it sounds like an anime plotline or something, because how could anyone have this information? He starts off by saying that these boys would be able to return to their family in their 20s and then help them out of poverty. But then you have this account where this kid is consumed, his soul's consumed and put into a little crystal ball or something. But the only person who would know about that would be someone in the room. So I think this is uh, pretty far out there, but interesting. What do you think? Well, I kind of posted that as is. The gentleman who sent that to me spent time in Tibet. He was very knowledgeable in some of the lore of the Buddhist and the Buddhist priest. And, you know, I did. I debated whether to post that, but I decided I'd go ahead and see what kind of reaction I'd get. And I did get some decent reaction from it. <laughs> you know, every once in a while, I will receive something that is somewhat provocative. And I will post it, but just post it as is and very rarely leave a comment on it and just let it go as it goes. Yeah, which I think in that case is the right approach, probably. <laughs> but that's really interesting, though, that you contacted this person, had a little yeah. bit of follow up, and they did actually spend time in Tibet, according to them. Of course, yeah. it's probably still just more hearsay. But is there any other detail you can remember from reaching out to this person that would help lend credibility to maybe there is something to this and it isn't just a story. They were very vague and as to their description as to who they were. You know, I did ask them if they had copied it from a book or took it from some other writing and they said it was all original. So, you know, I just posted it as is and I was hoping that maybe someone would follow up on it and kind of give some verification to it. But so far, I have not gotten anything. Yeah. Well, Tibet is a mysterious place. Of course, that's where a lot of the Hollow Earth lore comes from, that the Tibetan monks guard the gate and uh, maybe have a relationship with those beings below, and they keep them protected from the surface world. How often does something regarding Tibet and all that mystique come up? Very rarely. Very rarely. Hmm. So I just want to hit people with one more story before we call it in. This is another long one. Okay. But it is kind of a typical abduction story. I just thought there were some good details in it, but it's called Siblings Witness Neighbor Girls Abducted by UFO Occupants. I've kept this inside of me for over 55 years, and I think it's time I disclose the event which took place in 1965. My brother Sam and I witnessed aliens abducting two young girls who lived in the trailer next door. We never told a soul about this encounter, and now that he has passed, I'm the only person left to recount the events of that fateful night, which changed our lives forever. We were living near Bossier City, Louisiana, as our father 
was deep underground in the Air Force missile silos, and he worked for days at a time in these bunkers. He had just come home from a three-day leave, and we were so happy to be able to spend time with him. Sam and I played rough with our dad all day, and we were bushed come bedtime. I slept in the upper bunk and my brother in the lower. Suddenly, around 3 or 4 a.m., we were both awakened by a low thundering sound and the most brilliantly colored light display just outside our window at the foot of our bunk bed. We both watched a flying saucer land in the field close to our neighbor's trailer. Our family was very close to these neighbors, and the two young girls living there were friends of my brother and me. They were approximately 7 and 10 years old. This flying saucer was about 50 feet in diameter and had multicolored lights around the perimeter. Everything beneath the craft was distorted and wavy as it was gently settling down in the dirt field. There were four metal legs that slid down from the craft with round pads on each. All of the lights on the craft went out within about 30 seconds after it landed, but a light blue glow started to envelop the craft and it made the area around it glow as well. Then a ramp slid down from the craft, and a door opened up, and we could partially see inside the ship. There were dull red and orange lights on the walls and an electrical crackling sound emitting from the interior. Then the interior lights went out, and the weird sound stopped. Suddenly, a figure started to walk down the ramp and was followed by another. Now, Sam and I were never allowed to watch any science fiction shows or movies, with aliens or spaceships. I'd never even seen a drawing or picture of a saucer before this. So this was truly a strange night for us and definitely something very new. The first two beings walked down the ramp and made their way into the light of our neighbor's yard. There was a light on the back of their trailer and their porch. When they got closer to the bright light on the porch, we could see that they were dressed in the same color suits. But the weird thing was that their skin appeared to be the same color as well. They looked human in shape and size, but moved in a way that made them function more like robots. Every movement was very smooth and effortless, as though they were moving about in the water. They now remind me of the Blue Man Group from Vegas, because they were completely blue all over. Then, another two beings exited the craft, and they were green. Another two that were red, until there were six of them in all. They walked in line, up to the door of the trailer. They all passed right through the door without opening it. That scared the heck out of us. We were asking each other, did you see that? What are they going to do with our friends? Minutes later, they passed through the door again, and they were leading the two girls all the way back to their ship. The girls appeared as though they were sleepwalking, even though their eyes were closed. They walked just fine without any help from these strange beings. Now, if you were wondering, yes, the girls passed right through the door as well without it being opened. About five minutes later, they exited the ship and led the girls back into the trailer. But when the beans passed through the door for the last time, as they were coming out, they all crouched down slightly, turned, and looked directly at our window. Each one did this in succession, and they smiled and waved at us. Now at this point, my brother and I were in complete shock. I looked at Sam, and he looked at me, but we were unable to say a word. They entered the ship, and as the last one went inside, the interior lights returned. The strange noise started up again, and the door closed. The ramp slid back up inside the craft, and as it slowly lifted off the ground, the four legs retracted up as well. The amazingly colorful lights came back on around the perimeter of the ship, and it slowly lifted skyward. Until it was about 20 feet in the air, 
Then it shot straight up and out of sight in less than a second. The last bean standing at the door of the ship waved at Sam and me before it closed. I thought I should point that out as well, because that is the lasting image that's burned into my memory ever since that strange night. My brother and I talked about that night possibly thousands of times before he passed away in 2009, but we never discussed it with anyone else ever. We tried so hard to see if there was anything different about our neighbor's daughters after that night, but we didn't notice anything unusual. That event troubles me to this day, more so than any other event. I have often wondered if Sam and I were actually abductees as well, and the memory of the girl's abduction was somehow planted. But in any case, two or maybe even four people were contacted slash abducted that night. Of that, I am positive. Wow. I mean, that is the kind of story that really does make me feel like we're in a zoo or the property of some higher beings. That's a wild one, Lon. <laughs> well, strange things happen in trail parks. I will say that. <laughs> I've heard. I've heard. It's not just tornadoes touching down. There are a lot of weird things. I have gotten a lot of stories from trailer park. <laughs> you know, I did talk to her and I did refer to a regression therapist. I don't normally do that, but it's funny. After I posted that, I've had several people ask me to refer them to a regression therapists in their areas. And I just don't normally do that. But in a, this case in particular, and since her advanced age, I thought, ah, what's, you know, she seemed somewhat desperate, so I did find someone for her. Hopefully, she'll follow through with it. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, I'd be curious to know. But this has been a lot of fun. I'm glad we could talk about a whole bunch of different things. Before we go, I wanted to make sure we fold in a little bit about your recent books. I mean, this is how we make the money, right? So we, we did talk about the Meme Humanoids book, but yeah. you also have two other books on winged humanoids in the last couple of years, right? Let's make people aware of those. Yeah, Mothman Dynasty, Chicago's Winged Humanoids was the first one, and that kind of covered up to about mid-2018. And then the Winged Cryptids book, I did the first half of the book, I covered up until about the end of 2019. I probably got two more books coming up eventually with, this winged humanoid phenomenon in Chicago. We'll have to see how that happens, but a lot of it's going to cover what's been going on in or around O'Hare International. So I guess those are two books I can look forward to writing. I don't particularly <laughs> like writing books, to be honest with you. It's a lot of work involved. Uh. But, you know, this phenomenon in Chicago, I think, begs for at least another book on war. So we'll see it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, of all the things that come your way, it seems like this is your main focus. Are there any other links or future projects we should share with people before we call it in? Not really. You know, I do uh, on Fans of Monsters Radio on YouTube, I, I, I do a weekly podcast, mostly live. I mean, it's always live where I will talk about reports that I have received I will answer questions out of the chat room this week. We're going to, tomorrow night, Friday at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern, we're going to actually talk about the black-eyed kid phenomenon. Woo! Yeah, so anybody wants to come in and talk about that, that'd be great. And, you know, if you don't make it, then it's there for people to listen to later on. 
I am in the process of working on one book. I had some surgery, kind of delayed that. But yeah, I, I probably got three books I'm going to work on eventually. But the Phantoms and Monsters 14 research team, you know, it's a bunch of people I've worked with, I've been working with for years. And we try to get boots on the ground with phenomena that happens. And, you know, when we do get the report, we will post it. Nice. Well, phantomsandmonsters.com is the website. You have a very easy to navigate blog archive where people can go through by year and then by month, and they will see 60 to 80 posts a month, roughly five to 700 a year going back a long, long time. And they can just pick any random month and read stories much like I read today. They are so fascinating. Thousands and thousands of stories. And again, I do appreciate what you do because these things need to be recorded so they can be examined and dots can be connected and we can try to get a handle on what's going on. Of course, I just like to read the stories without really trying to solve the whole mystery because we probably aren't going to do that here on a podcast, but it's still important work. It's an important archive. It's a historical record. And I just think it should really be respected. It is a labor of love and I appreciate your service. Well, I thank you for bringing it to light and yeah, I appreciate your thoughts. Of course, man. Thanks for taking the time. Lots of fun, unexpected stuff. Keep fighting the good fight and take care. Me too. Lon Strickler, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I respect the dedication and this over a decade long archive of reports is impressive and a valuable resource to humanity. I do believe that. But I can't remember a guest who made me work this much to make a good show. I can't remember a guest who answered no to more of my questions or was more resistant to telling a few stories. And hey, if he can't recall, then he can't recall. I obviously don't take it personally. I just find it funny, actually. And halfway through, I thought, I wonder how many times I can ask if he can give us a story from x y or z categories and he's just gonna stonewall me and so i just had a little fun with that and lon stuck to his guns it was impressive actually no i don't have any stories for you nothing comes to mind again just a funny thing really no big deal i think we ended up with a good show but he definitely made me work for it and this is why I always over-prepare. This is why I always have about four hours of content for a two-hour interview, and why I never just bank on a guest carrying me through. In a big way, it worked out, because I already pulled the stories that I found to be most interesting, so I was more than happy to just fire them off at you guys anytime I thought we needed a pickup on the pace of things. And I would hope that you had a good time and it doesn't really matter who serves you up the stories. You know going into a cryptid episode that it's really just going to be made up of account reports anyway. So it is what it is and you know I wouldn't let you down. Although that plasma bean Tibet story was pretty out there. If anyone knows the anime that that plotline is from, do let me know. But Lon posted it and I wanted to fit it in there because it was one of the wilder ones I had read. 
And if I had any interview that I had to record during a crazy thunderstorm, this is the right kind of show for that. It's something I didn't really anticipate with the Florida move, but if you're unfamiliar with the weather here, storms are frequent, but they move through super fast. You'll have a sunny day, then a wild thunderstorm that only lasts an hour, and then it's back to nice and sunny. It's just a bit odd. I can use sound panels to get the echo out of the room. I can have the wife take the little one out of the house while I record. But I can't do much about home-shaking thunderstorms. If I wasn't reading such lengthy stories, then I probably would have re-recorded my parts in some cases. Although, like I said, I think it kind of worked out for this one. And that's another month of good shows in the bag. Richard Dolan, Dr. Jacob Nordengard, Ethical Skeptic, and Paul Shatskin. Pretty diverse subject matter. And today we added a 40 Encrypted Stories episode to the stack just for good measure. Become a Plus member because you're missing a lot if you aren't. In today's episode, we talked about Dr. David Jacobs' hybrid program work. Lon's thoughts on a program to hunt down and eliminate ancient hybrids, some stories that come with extra evidence, the naked deer eaters situation, the portal opening in Devonshire, the man-faced deer and centaur sightings, a person with a lifetime of goblin encounters, Another wild one about the ram-horned man of Brandywine State Park, and a little bit about the DuPont family and the occult. Sign up from the link in your show notes and get in the game. Seven-day free trial to kick it off, and you keep me employed doing the thing. As for higher side news, not a lot to report. I did get a Tesla healing device in the mail from Clive DeCarl. I am waiting on my European to American power outlet converter before I can try it, but I'm glad he actually came through. I also recently visited Jim Gale's property. If you remember the Food Forest Abundance show we did, his property is called Galt's Landing, and it's not too far from me now. You can see the little video we made on the Instagram or Twitter. That was fun, and it is a really impressive Food Forest Abundant property. Also, I was just a guest on Lighting the Void with Joe Roop, and I did another Top 10 Books List episode with Gordon where we covered the best health and healing books. Our lists were very different, which is always the best from an entertainment standpoint. So keep an eye out for the next Rune Soup episode if that sounds good to you. And of course, let's take a look at the next few events on the Meetup calendar for THC fans at HiresideMeetups.com. I actually just used the No Agenda Meetup calendar myself and hosted an event here in Tampa yesterday. I will probably make a couple of THC events here in the future, but I just wanted to be a bit more under the radar for this first one. Me and my wife don't have a friend group here, and I wanted to just hang out with other No Agenda fans without them even knowing that I also do a podcast. And it was a great time. About 30 people showed up, and about a third of them were THC fans anyway, so it worked out. But next time, I will let everyone know that this is just to say that meetups based on a mutual love of a podcast and a particular worldview are a lot of fun. And it's such a low effort, easy way to meet other people around you. So let's see what's on deck with our calendar. 
We got August 2nd, Richmond, Virginia. August 5th, Moundsville, West Virginia. Also August 5th, High Springs, Florida at the High Springs Brewing Company. August 6th, Huntsville, Alabama. August 10th, LA. August 11th, Hastings, East Sussex, United Kingdom. And August 15th, Nashville, Tennessee. And also August 15th, Salem, Oregon. That is nice. Lots of events all over this island earth. But that will take us through half of August. If you heard a town near you get called out, think about hopping on the website and RSVPing for the event. If you didn't hear a town mentioned that you're near, then just hop on the website, HiresideMeetups.com, make a local event of your own. It's free, and it's easy, and it can really enrich your life. But that's about it. Big thanks to Lon for taking the time. Check out Phantoms and Monsters for all your 40 encrypted story needs, and I'll see you next time. Your move to Benton Plasma Monsters, Deer Men, and Winged Humanoids of the Greater Chicago Area. Your fucking move. When you see weird lights outside of your door Something sits on your chest when you sleep It might be a pattern you've been through before you might have those screen memories darling wait till we get some proof still we'll make them see and baby i tried the camera died i'm not crazy
sky.